0: and a one
1: and a two and a one two three four welcome to house of strauss industry talk coming to you live from my garage and we are joined by of course it's ryan glasspiegel of the new york post how you doing ryan i'm good i'm good how are you (laughs) i'm doing very well i think we're Maybe going up against uh, some playing games right now. Uh, I believe the, the MetaQuest playing game, not the just the playing game. Oh, we got to get into that potentially. That's a good topic. That weird, funky branding. But we also might get into uh, the viewership news that the NBA says is quite good. It might be quite good, and we we might get into a lot of topics, folks. But the topic that has piqued my interest, Ryan, and we're just gonna, we're just going to get into it here. We're just going to get right off the bat into it. Oh boy. It. Well, just your defense of Mark Jackson, your (laughs) reconsideration of Mark Jackson, it's like this show's version of an old-school slate pitch. So I just want to hear you out. I've got some additional thoughts on it. I am intrigued. Mark Jackson, I believe the rumor goes, there's been reporting to this effect from Sam Amick, I think, um, that LeBron wants ESPN broadcaster Mark Jackson as an next lakers head coach. The
2: wording was LeBron would be very enthused at the <laughs> prospect of it
1: happening. I just love it. He really does sound like a king where people come before him and uh, present. And, you know, it's, uh, hey, it's his world. Uh, yes.
2: So your take, Ryan, go. Okay. So um, I went back and read the reporting from when he was fired. And it was like, oh, he, he was not enthusiastic about game planning. And, you know, he had the like, whole hullabaloo with Scalabrini, like, where I guess, like, conversations were taped and he thought, like, Scalabrini was, like, a mole for the front office. But anyways, I read it and I think at the time you you took reporting like this as the gospel, but now mm. I look at it and I'm like okay, I think the front office did a better job at ingratiating themselves with reporters than Jackson probably did. I don't think mm. that was like on Jackson's mind, you know? And so um, the I, – I guess I, I read – by, like, by the way, by the
1: way, I'll just interject. I can tell you uh, you are completely correct about that. I don't think Mark had any idea how the media worked and never – he even attempting to how
2: it He know he came he played in New York. He knows how <laughs> the media works. He just there are people who know how it works and still stay above the fray and like go about their own business. And then there's people who curry to the media and try to get their narrative out there. Like yeah. Mark Jackson he like men of faith don't it, it, this is like generalizing, but they don't care what other people say about them as mm. much because they feel kind of more secure in whatever their mission is, and so for whatever reason, I mean, I guess that might be one of the reasons. But he is not somebody who ingratiated himself with the media, and that left him susceptible to only one side of the message getting out there when the you know dreaded friction happened.
0: Mm. But
2: so so there's that. I just kind of like going against the grain of when everyone <laughs> in the media thinks that something is a bad idea. It makes me think it might actually be a good idea.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, Jason Kidd, I guess, performed above expectations. I'm no connoisseur of how good a, a coach he is versus the others. But I think that's one where it was poo-pooed and poo-pooed for some other reasons as well. But it, it worked out better.
2: Yeah. So I don't know. I just kind of when everyone in the media thinks something, I usually try to think of reasons to think the other way. That's just because that's just kind of how I am. But the I don't think that he gets enough credit for the turnaround of that franchise. Look, there's a lot of credit to go around. Mm. Seth Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, credit, credit, credit. Bob Myers, lots of credit. Steve Kerr, lots of credit. But I still see a slice in the pie from Mark Jackson there cuz if you remember and you clearly do what the warriors were like before he got there <laughs> there wasn't any type of hope that they would have the trajectory of even you know getting to the playoffs winning a series with him like they did and then becoming a dynasty and so the i, I don't think people realize that like Steph Curry wasn't nearly as inevitable as um, it kind of seems like in retrospect. The, oh, yeah. There's that famous story where like the Warriors wanted to trade him for Andrew Bogut to the Bucks, and the Bucks were like, no, 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 give us Monte Ellis instead. So, you know, sometimes you get really lucky by what you want not happening, and that was clearly one of those times for the Warriors. Like, they were willing to get rid of him for Andrew Bogut. And so... I think that Jackson, who's like one of the best passing point guards of all time as a player, Mm. might know a little bit more about like basketball strategy than some front office people might. But also, I don't know for a basketball coach what percent of success in the job comes from strategy and what percent comes from being a psychologist. Mm. And I think that he was very good at the latter part of that job. and that's something that doesn't get given credit in kind of media circles.
1: Here's the thing. And I, I, there's so many directions to take this. And I had no idea that we were going to be talking about this issue a day ago. And I'm very excited for it. Um, you are completely <laughs> correct that he had mastered a psychological aspect of coaching. But his mastery of it is indivisible from why he's not gotten another job again. And here's why. The type of charisma that he projected was rooted in with us or against us. Everybody out there is against you, not just in the media, but the organization, but I have your back. He had these young players and that was the messaging repeated that I'm looking out for you. I'm a player's coach. And yeah, Steph Curry flourished, basically kind of having carte blanche to do whatever and run a million pick and rolls. And that's how you end up with a 54 point game at Madison square garden uh, with just complete, just whatever you want to do, find yourself, actualize yourself, right? All of that was happening and it was getting pretty weird behind the scenes. But if you own a basketball team, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, govern a basketball team because that's what that's what every little boy dreams of doing is uh, making a bunch of money and uh, governing a basketball team. Um, you want to be... Calling some shots. You want to be in charge. You don't want to be made out to be the enemy and feel like the coach you hired doesn't like you and isn't going to do what you want to do. And there was a lot behind the scenes uh, that went sideways. Indeed, there was an ESPN just I don't even know what to call it an expose on Mark Jackson that was going to come out in ESPN the magazine and would have come out, but for. ESPN, ABC hiring Mark to be an announcer. So when we talk about knowing the media well and doing a good job with the media, whoever orchestrated that, be it Mark or an agent, I think did wonders for him because. Well, he also
2: became the color commentator of the NBA Finals, so they yeah. think he's pretty good at it.
1: But yeah, um... yeah, it, just incredible timing because that story that was back a little bit more when ESPN was the voice of God, it would have. Uh, hit him over alleged homophobia. It was not written by me, by the way, in case anybody's thinking it was. It was, I I, I was about to say I believe. I know who it was by. It was by David Fleming. The story got spiked by ESPN. For all I know, I'm making news as I say this. I don't know. Um, That would have, I think, potentially destroyed him. And my frustration at the time, and now I'm going down memory lane in 2014, uh, was that I'd just been hired to be a beat writer. The coach had been fired. And there was just this big mess, and all of a sudden, he'd been hired by the company I was working for. And there was just kind of don't don't hear no evil, say speak no evil. The whole thing was very uh, it was very messy, I, is what I would say. A lot happened behind the scenes. I think some of what you're saying is very it's quite valid. He might be the right coach to get you from D to B in some circumstances, but the lack of control one would have in the owner as an owner or in the front office. There was a big clash between Mark Jackson and Jerry West. Um, I think that's had a lot to do with why he's been on the outside looking in.
2: Yeah, no, I I totally, I understand that um, it, it's kind of like you, when, when someone breaks up with someone and they, they bash them or whatever, then it's like, okay, well, if I get it, it, it's like all these teams that keep hiring Antonio Brown, you know, like at some point, you're assuming a risk, but he, he had that happen once. So maybe there's a circumstance where he is humbled by the fact that Mm -hmm. he lost the job at the vanguard of this dynasty and then had to wait eight years for another one and has some type of self-reflection about doing it differently. But another interesting nugget that I figured out when I was researching this stuff today is LeBron pushed for Mark Jackson to be the coach of the Cavs when they hired David Blatt. Um, So this is something that LeBron has been very enthused about the prospect of for eight years. Well, this is now a different topic,
1: which is maybe Mark Jackson's the right coach for LeBron. LeBron doesn't want to be told what to do. LeBron wants to be coach and wants to be uh, given a lot of power. Um, I think he looks at Mark as somebody he could work with. And I'm not sure how many great options there are out there. I'm not sure how many people want to coach LeBron. At least Mark Jackson. Seems it seems really. like
2: it's going to, um, for whatever the person who I know who has a good read on this type of stuff says, keep your eye on Jawan Howard.
1: Ah, yeah. I mean, that could, that could potentially work as well. Um. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, he's got the heat background. I could see that working out. So Quotch, yeah, it, yeah, in this, in this particular circumstance, it might be the best of, I, I would say suboptimal options. Optimally, you would want LeBron to be 25 and, uh, just accede <laughs> to uh, coaching uh, as opposed to LeBron as great as he is entering into middle age and, uh. Trying to do so much, so much beyond just just playing, which but he does but so don't you think
2: that Mark Jackson deserves more credit than he gets at present day for the development of Curry and Thompson?
1: Hmm. Um. I mean, deserves deserves as the Clint. Easton I don't deserves deserves, Got
2: nothing to do with it. Yeah, deserves but... got
1: nothing to do with it. I mean. It's so hard to disentangle it because behind the scenes, what you learn when you're covering a a team is that there's this vast army behind the TV show that makes the thing function and they have valuable jobs. I think the Warriors suffered for a lot of these behind the scenes people uh, moving on. Right. And so, yeah, Mark would say it's him. Uh, Darren Ehrman, who got fired for, for recording the conversations with Mark, uh, would talk about all the work he did with Clay Thompson to make him an incredible defensive player. I think there's something to the idea that Mark allowed these guys to explore their talents. And I'm not sure that Steph becomes Steph, but Clay, when it comes to Clay, I don't think Clay really flourished under Mark. And they almost traded him for Kevin Love because they didn't know how good he was. And that's quite the mistake you can make if your coach is not optimizing the player's talents. That's, that's a huge one right there to miss out on the rest of Clay Thompson's career. So I don't know. I think that he's big in having helped Steph become Steph. I, I don't know if I would say the same thing for everybody else. I know that he kind of gave Draymond a leadership role, but Draymond wasn't playing before and he wasn't becoming who he became. I think a lot of what Draymond did was by happenstance. Was, there was no strategy, no vision anybody had. Uh, he just took advantage of a situation when David Lee got hurt under Steve Kerr and he ran with it to his great credit. So I think Mark deserves some Steph credit. As far as the defense, I mean, I just remember Haralba Bulgera saying to me when they got Iguodala, uh, that, a team at that point in time with Andre Godal and Andrew Bogut has to be top five defense. Like it's not going to go any other way if they play the season. So yeah, I think some credit, some credit, but it's, it was a messy situation. And the fact he that doesn't get
2: in, any credit now. So some <laughs> is more than he gets. Well, some That's how life
1: works sometimes. Bit. I mean, this is, I, I had that interview with uh, Chuck Klosterman for the podcast where so much of what happens after the event defines how we, view the event. You know, people might have viewed Ralph Nader's uh, campaign as noble and principled if Al Gore won Tennessee that night, right? Instead of the way it's viewed. So, yeah, what happens after uh, determines some things, and Steve Kerr winning the goddamn championship, and uh, what did he win? Did he win, like, 16, 17 games more than Mark? I can't remember off the top of my head. That informs how people view Mark, and they don't they don't think about how Mark Jackson once said on a telecast: uh, "They look at the butterfly. And they don't. They don't remember the caterpillar.
2: People don't remember <laughs> the caterpillar." Ryan. All right. Um, do we want to take your call, or do you want to move on to your ratings?
1: Oh well, I, we'll we'll take a call. We'll take a call. It's, the ratings, the NBA viewership. I mean, I'm a little wishy-washy on the whole thing. Jonathan. Jonathan. Jonathan is in the chat. I'm
0: making him the next caller. If I can get hey. Yes, good evening. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. Hi. I uh, I just wanted to say I enjoy your writing and the uh, call-in show. Uh, the reason why I'm a subscriber and uh, the reason why I enjoy uh, your writing and, and the knowledge that you have uh, with your experience uh, covering the beat and so on is because I can tell... That uh, writing at the intersection of culture and politics, as you do uh, quite a bit, that you're respectful of someone, you know, like me, who's interested in sports and culture, but is on the non-libertarian Catholic traditionalist right, which is a, a pretty good portion of the country, maybe not Catholic, but, you know, socially conservative, having opinions on some social issues that may be similar to Mark Jackson, perhaps.
1: Were you you in that New York Times uh, (laughs) survey they did today of eight (laughs) eight conservative leading people that the media was up in arms about? Sorry, continue.
0: Well, I I mean, but my my point is that we can have a conversation about, you know, the nature of the human person if we ever were having a beer together Mm. or... Uh, you know, some of the things that are said in the locker room that may be considered phobic in some way. And, you know, you could talk that through. We could sit down and say, well, here's my perspective on it. And when I read ESPN, for example, about uh, the swimmer that I'll call Thomas, <laughs> uh, you, you know, it, it's pretty clearly conveyed that this is what decent people think. Mm-hmm. Don't be a bigot. Right. Yep. And it's, it's it's off-putting to large portions of the country, and I'm sure ESPN doesn't care that much, but I think that having this kind of respectful back-and-forth dialogue is important, and it's something that is really missing, uh, especially if we want to continue, uh, you know, in a way where we're not yelling at each other all the time. Well,
1: first off, shut up, bigot. No, I'm just joking. Um, second, Second off, no, it's like, yes, I would like us to have some sort of conversation. I would like us to be honest with our perspectives. And as we said on the last call in, I think when people are trying to cue what they're saying, not according to what they actually believe, but what they think other people need to hear so they don't face some sort of punishment. You get very stupid solutions to the problems of the day. I want everybody operating at the top of their intelligence, as they say in improv. I don't know why that's the reference point I'm using. Um, That's not going to happen if people are scared. And so at least that's my perspective on it, Ryan. And, uh, you know, I I will attempt to take Jonathan's uh, thoughtful, thoughtfulness here and, do a segue because he said ESPN doesn't care. Uh, do they not he care? He said they Ryan?
2: probably don't care, and I would say they definitely don't.
1: Well, do they not care because the ratings are up? Because it's not just the NBA saying so. I think they, they recently said that they had this excellent quarter, the best in however long. I suspect, I think as you do, that there's some juicing happening, but our uh, happy days back at the Worldwide Leader.
2: Well, they're definitely back because all you you know how you know whether the happy days are there or not is by reading their spending. So they've not only just gone on a really absurd live rights purchasing binge over the last several years, like they added, they monopolized the UFC, they have monopolized the SEC, they got the NHL back. And they got into the Super Bowl rotation with the NFL. So they've been spending on rights, which has yielded spending on talent. They spent, like, I don't know. I think Andrew Russian said it was like a quarter billion dollars between Aikman, Buck, Woj, and Schefter that they've committed to four talents over the next decade or whatever. And so... Yes, Happy Days are back at ESPN because they've only fortified their live rights over the last several years.
1: Yeah, they've got a near monopoly. It's not quite a monopoly, but they've got a near monopoly on sports rights. And that's an advantage you can have when you've got Disney behind you and you've kind of uh, got a limitless checkbook. I know that we've had some astute callers think that or say that this is a bubble. And it's going to burst at some point. Um, you know, I don't. I really don't know what the NBA TV rights are. I I, I know that uh, some outfit that would know projected that it would be uh, twice twice the last one. Which, yeah, given inflation, I don't know if that that really blows me out of the water. But yeah, uh, I think
2: that money's worth half as much per dollar.
1: <laughs> yeah, so there is was that.
2: They the last one, so doubling it isn't substantially impressive.
1: Yeah, but it makes for a good press release. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit before we take some calls? Oh, JF's there. I know JF uh, has some thoughts on the bubble. Um, The thing I wrote Uh, I wrote something on Friday about the viewership juicing. I'm not accusing ESPN of doing this. I want to be clear. I don't have any evidence that they're doing this. There is some evidence to say that NBC did it uh, for the Super Bowl to uh, quite a large degree, I I would argue. I didn't even
2: notice that until you pointed it out, by the way. I like try and figure out these spins, but go ahead.
1: I didn't know in the whole fog of the event, I didn't know at the time. It just came from other people noticing it and reading up on it that this is this is happening. And I, I think, it, I, so I wrote, I wrote the article. There are a lot of numbers in it. Sometimes it's hard to have the numbers harmonized with some sort of narrative. Um, and so I just wanted to talk a little bit more about it because uh, the idea behind what I wrote on the Substack, House of trust Substack, subscribe Subscribe the uh, is that we're entering into a new period where these um, broadcasters just make up their own ratings, or at least uh, wildly exaggerate them. And that's new. I know it sounds maybe to the cynical that this just is how it always was. This is, this is new. There's something happening under the surface where the broadcasters are saying that Nielsen screwed us, so screw Nielsen. We're going to uh, give our own data points. And a lot of this is, I think, done through streaming because for a lot of these broadcasters, there's no way to see what the streaming numbers are. So they add the streaming numbers to their rating. They come out with a press release and the biggest publications are taking that version of the narrative. And so it's just creating, I think, a crazy circumstance where there are TV shows that are perhaps obscure, that are being touted in The New York Times. As one of the most watched shows on TV. Euphoria was an example I cited. Uh, other people have cited it, where the New York Times has referred to it as one of the most watched shows. HBO has touted it as its most watched show other than Game of Thrones, I think, uh, or I'm trying to, the second most watched show other than Game of Thrones. When it goes live on HBO, 254,000 people are watching that. I mean, what is it? Is that the population of Lubbock, Texas? Yeah, it gets L-Lubb like L-Lubb, Texas? About
2: John Oliver's numbers.
1: Yeah, 254,000. And then people go, well, the streaming... Look, there are about 12 million people who have, uh, who have the HBO Max. I, I know there are other ways to access it, but you're going from that pool. It's very hard to see how you end up with millions of viewers. And HBO certainly is not letting people see into it and they're not letting people see the real numbers and i know the push they're probably what,
2: counting it as gross viewers rather than average minute audience which is what the standard measuring yeah. uh metric, Hell, by the way they're counting they're probably
1: counting that when i sign into the hbo max app to watch anything i'm watching euphoria the way they're counting it um i'm not trying to bash euphoria which i've heard good things about uh, from only one person in my life who watches it and likes it. Um, But, you know, it's it's a critically acclaimed show. I just think this is new. This is maybe related to the question we got of this is what all correct thinking people think uh, and this is the narrative. But it just seems like we're in this new era where these broadcasters are almost inventing their own reality. Of what's actually popular and resonating uh, versus there being a reality that we all agree upon. So that's my that's well, my it's a lot easier
2: on. for HBO to do it because they're not selling to advertisers. It yes. becomes a bigger question of fraud and also people who are incentivized to catch you in the fraud. Yeah. when you bring them into the Oh, equation.
1: by the way, if any such people from the advertising industry are listening to this call-in and you understand how to catch such fraud, I am open for business. I am curious, so feel free to reach out and give me a ring. Uh, yes, you were saying.
2: No, I was done, but it was like the... Yeah, absolutely. They're doing that, and the the press like, you know, you want to get invited to HBO parties it's a lot better to be friends with the powers in the industry than to be adversarial for like kind of your own personal life yeah and I think that that's a factor that people maybe understand from like you know safe cruising level on an airplane where from 10,000 feet you're like, oh yeah, of course that dynamic works. But I think you and I are much more attuned to how it works on a micro basis and that also drives some of our skepticism.
1: Yes, yes. And uh, because I didn't totally explain it, it would seem that NBC doubled the amount of streaming viewers from the year before that CBS had the Super, Super Bowl just by declaring that we believe we have an average of two people watching our streams whenever our stream is watched, and that's how they doubled it. It's ludicrous. Uh, But everybody in the media, as far as I could see, ran with the NBC number and touted this improvement of uh, over 15 million people in watching the Super Bowl versus 2021 and so that just becomes the reality and it's quoted in all the major publications and so anywho uh, let's you want to take a call Ryan or do you want to Let's take do a call? it and then we'll get to NBA ratings I guess yeah or we'll get to Thibe or we'll get to Gil Brandt that already I feel like Gil Brandt getting absolutely uh, torched by all the athletes in America it feels like that was a month ago instead of... Uh, it was maybe over the weekend. Uh, it was. But,
2: it was Saturday.
1: Yeah. Let's take a call from Mike. Mike,
2: Mike. Hey. hey. Hi.
1: How's it going?
2: Good. How are hey. you?
1: Oh, pretty good. Been I'll listen a few times uh, to finally be on. Um, Great to have you. Thank you. So going back to the Mark Jackson thing, I was just thinking about this with um, his faith supposedly being such a big thing. Let's say he does become coach. How long before something happens that especially in NBA world is going to get him
2: Mm. some serious trouble there by Christmas.
1: (laughs) Maybe by Christmas. (laughs) It's a good question. Like how sensitive to the changing mores is Mark Jackson, I mean, he is, I guess, performed as uh, on the lead announcing crew of the league uh, in a place that has HR, so I would think that he would maybe be able to do it, but some of these guys, you know, they get back in the pit, they get back in the league, and it's a different culture, it's a different situation, and you saw glimmers of it, Uh, he did not seem very happy, about Jason Collins, uh, in one of the press conferences, but there's just, there's just more to it. And I think I have more respect for religion now, uh, than when all this was breaking back in 2014. Um, it, but it still seemed if the allegations are true, uh, a little over the top, uh, how involved it all was and how blurry the lines were. Um, so, Oh, yeah. I don't know if he'd get in trouble. I, I feel like a lot of it would be the LeBron show, and
2: hell, he might... Here's the thing. He'd he get be in Frank... trouble because people would be looking for it with him. Maybe. In a way but... that they're weirdly not with him as an announcer. Yeah, yeah. I, I Yeah, I think there's that, and there's also... Someone they... will get him on a question. Like, they'll ask him something where you and I know how he'll answer it, but... The way that he answers it is going to be, you know, problematic. Oh, man. I once, I,
1: he went on this rant, don't twist my words. There'll never be a problem in my locker room. It was after a win against the Sixers, and it had to do with uh, Bogut, a uh, friend of the show. Uh, it, where I think he was maybe insinuating that Bogut was milking an injury, and then Bogut went to the press, and this was just pre-game. It was all it was all going down. It was all exploding. Only nobody cared back then because the Warriors weren't good, but um, he, or they weren't great, I should say. But he was saying that there'll never be a problem in my locker room, so don't twist my words. <laughs> don't twist my words. And I just asked him. Well, who's twisting your words and how? And it just was obvious that there was no preparation for that follow up. It was just <laughs> an assumption that he could kind of go off, and there wasn't going to be a follow up. Hey, as so someone who, so what you're saying is pretty much he's saying himself up to be a uh, head coach at Liberty
2: in a few years. <laughs> Maybe no, I mean, he wouldn't. He, uh, he he wouldn't take that. He. Uh,
1: I don't want to say more at this point because I'm rooting for this to happen. I, I yes, feel like...
2: It would be very nice if it does. It would be great content. Yeah. And that's what you got to, like, understand about another reason why I want it is because <laughs> it would be interesting.
0: Okay.
2: I'll
1: be entertaining. I loved his press conferences. And nobody should care about this, but transcribing so easy because the slow preacher pace just, just fantastic. The cadence, everything. Welcome <laughs> back, Mark. Let's bring him back. Let's uh, come on, Coach LeBron. I want to see the whole thing. You know, the, the whole Westbrook unraveling and exploding. Boring. Not as fun. This is. This would be fun. I would be into it. And with that, we will remove Mike from the queue. And yes, I'll I'll give you dealer's choice, Ryan. Dealer's choice. We talk about. Adam Silver's NBA at 100 mission statement, Matisse Thiebel versus Canada. Uh, we've done the
2: vaccine thing so many times. It's dumb. I know, like, but it doesn't go away, is the issue. It's like we, yeah, we've thing, adjusted We thought this would be temporary, and it's not. It's permanent. Like the Yankees are like deciding what to do with Paul O'Neill because he's not vaccinated. It's, I'm just not like Philadelphia is bringing back mask mandates. This <laughs>
1: yeah, is never going to end. I, that's the thing it's like we don't we've all moved on we don't want to talk about it still but some of these municipalities or nations in the case of canada uh, have not moved on so i guess these things china are definitely... is
2: locked like shanghai completely oh, down separated parents from kids clanny tweeted like this is what the democrats would do if there weren't republicans and i don't know that you could totally say I that mean, he's wrong I wouldn't
1: say that he's right, but I would say that seeing the extreme form of this over there makes me have even less of an appetite for the denial of rights and civil liberties here. I do it just, and really, I I have, I am sympathetic towards the idea that one need not speak out on everything going on in the world, um, and I also think that foregrounding the just horrific things that China is doing to the Uyghur population. Yes, it's awful. And if anybody wants to foreground that, that is theirs to do. But it's, 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 it's been odd uh, just that in America, it seems like that's the only way we can criticize China when the pandemic came out of China. Uh, And that seems to be not what a respectable person does. Uh, You're not supposed to be angry about it. But in the case of this, it just seems with Shanghai, people should be speaking out about it. It seems I, I, I know, I know I don't have anything to risk. I don't have anything on the line. I know it's easy for me to say, but this is one of the biggest cities in the world. And this is horrific. If the news coming out of there is even close even to being he, accurate. He
2: is ripping them when that's happening. You know, it's real and bad. Yeah.
1: I mean, it is. I watching it. I just wonder to maybe this can go into the Adam silver conversation how bad does this have to get for the major corporations that have an economic concern in this country to say something? I mean, this is Shanghai. This is one of the world's biggest cities. Uh,
2: and it just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't it's like 26 million people or something that are just locked in their houses. It's and like I they can't get medicine.
1: The only reason I'm not going further is because I just wonder if there's something to the story I'm missing because it's so, cartoonishly authoritarian and brutal that I'm just wondering, like, is is the disease worse over there and we don't know somehow? I mean, that that's what goes through your mind because what's happening over there is unconscionable. And it seems like if not, well, I was going to say if not for the Ukraine war, we'd be talking about more, but let's face it, if not for the majority of um, major media corporations having an economic concern in China, that's really the main determinant, I think, about why we're not Talking about that one too much. Um, And I just wonder, I wonder maybe this is something where it will start and it will end and we'll just forget about it and move on. But how bad would it have to get for it to be a major conversation piece in this country where Adam Silver would even have to say something?
2: Uh, It's
1: a horrifying thought.
2: Like, if it goes on for what, two months? I mean,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, okay, so I'm going to tie the issues together then, Ryan. This is what I'm going to try to do. This is how I'm going to try to do it. Because on the docket, we're looking at Thibel versus Canada. Matisse Thibel, for those who don't know, excellent defensive player. Uh, plays for the Sixers. Uh, didn't get a second shot and therefore cannot play in the series against the Raptors. Um, and so there's that topic. You know, we're talking about... China, Shanghai, we're talking about NBA, Adam Silver having a mission statement about the NBA potentially having teams in other countries, right? As he looks to the bold future. I'm going to tie these issues together by saying this. Nations still matter. Borders and laws still matter. And as much as all these leagues fantasize about having teams in these different locations, you can see the complications, even where it's somewhat workable and Canada. You could not find a uh, you know two countries more alike, I think, than the US and Canada as neighbors and still you're seeing issues trying to trying to forge a league between the two countries. So when when all these different sports have these pie in the sky notions of having teams on different continents, I mean, maybe the egg will be on my face in twenty five years, but I just don't I don't think it's the most workable thing, is what I'm saying.
2: I think I- Every, I think the American leagues are all jealous of the Champions League in soccer, mm. where it gives your team multiple chances at a championship each year. And so, you know, you get twice as many bites at the apple if you're Chelsea or Real Madrid or any of those European superpowers. And it's a really good thing for fan psyche.
1: Yeah, it is. And I know Adam Silver, especially, is really into soccer, but I don't think you can just transpose what's over there into what's over here. And I think a huge aspect of sports fandom in America is rooted in its Americanness. (laughs) I, I do believe that. And it's not a matter of being all benefit, no cost when you try to internationalized to the degree that these leagues try to. I mean, they they try to, and it's interesting. Yeah, the
2: NFL is basically, you know, they've got a few games in Europe a year. They're they're expanding that, but it's not anywhere near kind of the focus like it is with the NBA. Oh, and
1: but at least with the NFL, the narrative is more like the 1992 Dream Team narrative of we're spreading the word of uh, this American sport to you. You might not know about it. You might not totally know how it works, but it's really awesome and we did it. That's not really the NBA mantra or even to a degree the MLB mantra as they try to get international. They almost forget that that's a component. They just want to transcend nationality. And I think it informs a little bit of why these sports have declined domestically
2: of late. Oh yeah, definitely. And I don't know. It, it just, you create all of these like jet lag issues. We mm-hmm. forget that these players are people you're sending them in a time zone six hours away. They can't just like, you know, play in London and then three days later be playing in LA and expect their bodies to hold up. Yeah.
1: I mean, Adam Silver and his NBA at 75 statement envisions, I guess, a future air travel world where it will be so easy. And I, Hey, you know, I guess crazier things have happened, but you and I both feel the same way on this, which is eh, try to just eh, do, do good at home, do good at home. And then maybe broaden out, you know, it almost seems like them. And we don't really give the MLB enough shit, I think on this uh, call in, but, both those leagues, in a way to avoid the domestic decline, almost look out into the horizon um, instead of staying solid
2: yeah, well, I mean MLb doesn't do it nearly as much as the nBA does,
1: even though it's arguably just as international, which is another interesting thing, you know Cuba yeah but but interna- the
2: nBA like the nBA is international towards developing like wealthier countries like they're trying to get in china and india and stuff mlb's popularity is in kind of like south and latin america and they don't like kind of see those regions as eye-popping dollar signs
1: no i mean for whatever reason that informs the sense of how international those people are uh, as i as i return to the whipping boy of this podcast adam silver who i don't think is all bad and i don't think is an idiot but because he's a human ted talk he retains a lot of metaphorical value for me uh, i'm just reading some of i'm reading some of these things that he says where but in 25 years this notion of watching games on a screen in quotes in scare quotes may be irrelevant Games will appear well, in any know, at any time. Well,
2: you know, two years ago, before like before he did that like ridiculous meta thing, metaverse thing at the tech summit, I saw him in a ballroom like turn the game on, basically like he turned like a wall into like a sixty by forty foot screen that made you feel like you were courtside at a game, and it Ooh. had like a bit including Bill Murray, but. Um, like, I think that's like kind of his vision is just like transposing it onto like whatever big wall where you exist. But I don't think that that's actually that much of a distinction from a screen.
1: Yeah, I mean, now I'm a little intrigued. I mean, if it's like, uh help me Obi Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of hologram. I mean, that's kind of interesting. I would give it a whirl. I would give it a shot. But I also think that people are kind of used to watching that side angle on their TV of a game. That's how they know how to watch a a sports game. And I'm not sure how many people are going to adopt this difference. And it just seems, it just seems in keeping with what you hear from Mark Cuban and we need to TikTok size it. We need to do this. We need to do that. And meanwhile, everybody's waiting around going, uh, can you make the players show up and like, yeah. How about,
2: how about the players play (laughs) in the games? (laughs) that like people pay hundreds of dollars in tickets for to say nothing about what the TV networks pay to air them. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, yeah. People don't like you know, you this hologram of Damian Lee playing instead of Steph Curry is amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. It's an incredible <laughs> hologram of the, uh of the bench guy playing instead of the superstar. I really haven't seen anything better. I'm just going to flip to NFL. I will, we even forgot to get into how maybe the NBA's policy of avoiding the NFL on Thursdays was a good maneuver. But let's take some calls. Okay, Yu Yang, chat superstar, making him next caller. Yu Yang, are you there? Hello. Buddy?
3: Yeah, yeah. Hello, hello. Well, I don't Hi. Know if I'm a... Hey, guys. Hey, guys. It's always a nice uh, pleasure talking to you guys. I- I'm definitely not a superstar in any, any 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 point in life. I know you're just kind of saying that to pump me up, and I appreciate it, Ethan. Thank you so much um total let me just, loser yu yang no yes no, yes continue, there you go continue. you got it you got it you got it, <laughs> you got it. um you know i i, I felt that calling because you guys were really on a, on a roll there so i kind of felt like i was interrupting you guys you know very fascinating uh the whole um uh, you know everything you're talking about so far tonight but there's something i wanted to ask you ethan because uh you brought it up on the close man podcast and also ah. yeah yeah um it just kind of idea of kind of like the culture in decline. Mm. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you, but I have a, a different take on that, you know,
4: okay.
3: um, like I kind of look at culture having it uh, being on the decline, like since like, like 20,000 BC, like this is like a long-term hmm. trend. It's kind of like kind of violence, right? Like people were way more violent 20,000 years ago as well, but it's like a general trend. Yep. You know, and like you talk about movies, right? You're right. Movies are not as good as they were, like you know, 30 years ago. And like uh, a movie from like 15 years ago, I think it was *Idiocracy*, uh, talked about how like in the year 2500, uh, 2500, yeah, it's like people are going to be so stupid, right?
1: I, I so, was thinking about that movie in a very specific context recently, but but continue. Continue. Oh,
3: really? Okay, cool. Uh, maybe you can talk about that later or, you know, now, whatever. But uh, well, I'll, 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 Okay,
1: I'll just go yeah. on this jag about yeah. it right yeah. now. And, yeah. and I, and I want to hear the completion of your thought. But uh, there was a statement that was put out by the Miami Heat. And I think it probably had something to do with the, uh, I know that the DeSantis camp would say parental rights bill. I know the Democratic, uh, Democrat opponents would say the don't say gay bill, but it was for their pride night. And it was a bunch of A research that I guess was given to them by some sort of activist group um, on those issues, but the spellings were wrong. And so it was this serious thing and it was activism and it was from the Miami Heat official account and it was a graphic. And I don't have the words there right now, but I'm just watching. I'm just watching the sentences and they're just obviously spelled wrong, like a seven-year-old, <laughs> like a seven-year-old did it. And it reminded yeah. me of uh, just that kind of weird, the weirdness of idiocracy when you walk into Costco and it's welcome to Costco, I love you. And this right. kind of strange, there's this seriousness to it and there's the sentimentality, but it's backed by such stupidity that you really can't take it seriously. So that, that was my random digression. I'll let you, let you go
3: on there. Oh yeah, yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. I I didn't know about that. I mean, um, definitely with the whole DeSantis thing and everything's happening in the American politics with Fox News. It's definitely exactly what uh, they talked about: idiocracy. You know, um, in terms of like you know, like Fox News, they always have these like really good-looking people on it, and then like in the future they're just going to like have these like guys in like in bikini, oh guys like shirtless guys, you know, a, girl, a woman in bikinis, that kind of thing um you know like this this kind of culture and decline it, it's, it's been talked about like many times before obviously right um like for example uh, one of my favorite uh, artists like robert crumb like he he loves like the 19th century because he talks about how mm-hmm. in the 19th century you know you go to each town in america there's like uni- unique culture so i think that's kind of like you know you go to you go to any small town in america they'll have their own music they'll have their own kind of traditions customs Whereas like nowadays, you travel around the world. There's like a Starbucks in every major city in the world. How long so do
2: you think you could last in the 18th century? I don't think I can make it three days. <laughs> I'm just you know, so reminded of Midnight in Paris with that
1: Owen Wilson character, such a nostalgist, and the whole time he's just so enamored with the expats of the 1920s. Like, wow, I just talked with Ernest Hemingway. Gloria Simon and it's oh it's just amazing wow and that that movie I actually enjoyed that movie but yeah I don't know it would be interesting for a few days until you need a dentistry. it was my is my initial well, no,
3: thought well no that's the thing right <laughs> so like I, I'm very I'm very much a futurist and I'm very optimistic so so to answer your question Ryan um I, I would never want to live in the 18 19th century or even the 1950s like I want to live as, as close to the future as possible because, you know, the thing about mm. the past is that, like, you know, the medicine wasn't as good. Um, you, you you can get you, you messed up really easily. Uh, you, it's hard to recover from injuries. And also entertainment-wise, just in my lifetime, like, I remember as a kid, I used to be really bored, like, in the 80s. Like, there wasn't much to Mm-mm. do. I, I haven't
4: been well, bored this is
1: the last... but, but... But maybe you need to be bored is the other thing. I, I'm now I'm going in the crazy directions now. I, here, I'll, I'll give one. I'll give one quick thought on this, and I'm not sure how applicable it is. But I I tend to agree with you that things tend to get better, right? But I also think we need to be cognizant of the things we lose as we progress. And I'm just reminded of. I'm reminded of Camille Paglia talking about how back in the day, women lived in a village setting and they were surrounded by aunts and aunties and grandmothers and people were as extended families, you know, raising kids kind of collectively, which I think she in this um, out in the sticks somewhere actually was experiencing. And she was saying, look, we can't go back. We can't go back to that, but we need to recognize that we lost it. And we, we need to recognize that there's a void there. And I think part of the problem, um, as we progress a lot of the time, is that we're not even acknowledging that we've lost anything as, we, as we've as we moved forward. And we're just pretending that there are no voids. And so maybe that's too dorm room stoner. I don't know. But that's that's one idle thought in response to what you're saying.
3: No, no, absolutely. You know what? Um, like, I, I agree with that because, like, that's kind of what I always try to do with my life. And I I, I know nobody cares about me, but, like... <laughs> uh what i always try to do in my life is just like like i do like meditation every day
0: and and i, I hate
3: saying that because I, I hate the connotation that that kind of comes across you know like i hate people talk about their meditation and i'm doing the same thing now but like for me doing that is just to kind of like just to to, to, to to be to be quiet you know to go back to that world mm-hmm. where there's not like this instant access to like internet and everything you have and all the entertainment options and i find that really helps balance this the world um but i mean just 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 a closing thought like i just think like um as humans what's happening right now is that the reason culture is declining and this is not the reason sorry this is not this is mm. terrible not the third reason but I, I see what's happening here is that as culture declines technology just improves so mm. so like they're kind of going in opposite directions. so like all the all the things that we used to all the energy other times when people used to put energy into like doing uh unique culture or original culture is now just doing like youtube videos Because that's what people want, you know. Like, people are getting what they want, which is just like these kind of like interesting YouTube videos of like culture. Well, you Yang, what you've described to me sounds like a dystopia,
2: and I am
1: (laughs) totally unconvinced (laughs) of your perspective. But we'll we will will kick you out of the chat. I still
2: respect it. I disagree, but I respect. it. I love it. I love you guys. All right.
1: I I feel the same way, man. You take care, Uh, Ryan. Do you uh, do you have? An additional take before I think we'll close out on JF. Do you have anything you want to riff on before we take a JF question?
2: Uh, I we we should do the Killbrad thing. Killbrad is it, ninety years correctly. old,
1: folks. He's ninety years old. Sorry, I, I, I jumped the line on the take. But you wrote up you wrote this up. I we we can quickly address it. But yes, yeah. Gilbrant.
2: I mean, I I unlike you have to you know, follow assignments. And if it were, like if I had a substack, I would just ignore the Gilbert thing because I would give him grace for being 90 and with like a live microphone. Yeah. Um but he, so he he's he's a scout for the Cowboys for like 40 years. He's in the NFL Hall of Fame. No, 30 years up 40, whatever. Um uh, he Right after Dwayne Haskins died, he started just citing all of, like, these character concerns he had about him stemming from the NFL draft. Which, like, whether or not they're real, just, you know, keep... no. It, I don't know why they needed to bring him on to discuss this, but yeah. that's kind of where we were. And... Yeah. So he, he said of Haskins, he was like a 24-year-old former Ohio State quarterback. Um, he, he, he'd been in the NFL the last couple, few years but had kind of, like, struggled as a player. Now I'm going to get myself in trouble like Schefter. But um, <laughs> he he was like it, – It felt I'll, – I'll,
1: I'll, I'll jump in. It felt like his career was a tragedy beyond the tragedy. Um, and people didn't totally know how to articulate that where it seemed like he was this glorious talent who arrived on the scene and the career wasn't really, uh, it wasn't really becoming what people wanted. And that was sort of,
2: he he did get run t- out of Washington for like alleged immaturity. Yeah. This, this guy um,
1: dies and it's a tragedy, but that, that was just the narrative, if you had to just one one thing you know about him as a casual
2: football fan, that would be the thing. But that was not the,
1: the tool to reach for in the uh in the aftermath no, of the No, you just have tonight. to
2: say the quarterback of the Steelers uh got hit by a car and died. The the details that came out though, it seems like he was just like walking in the middle of the highway. And so huh. the reason for that, like was he was he um, committing suicide like out of some you know got he got really like sad in the morning and did that or did he just like have a total out of his mind experience that for whatever like inexplicable reason led him there that's a total mystery but um Gilbrandt Gil
1: like, was riffing on a radio show and talking about the mat- immaturity and I just he, to me it he said
2: almost... like he was like you know, living to die, so to speak, and then he ripped him for leaving college early, a year early, even though like people like him told him not to. And he's like, maybe if he didn't do, maybe if he stayed in college one more year, he'd still be alive. It's just like totally, yeah, wild things to say because you can't if you're if you're like the equivalent of a lottery pick in the NFL you have to leave to get that money and make your second contract a year earlier it's like very simple economics of how many hits you have in a body no you don't have to, you to don't maximize you, a short you, you don't have to sell
1: me on them. that and that and that's why it pisses people off it's because if you don't it's easy to tell somebody, Hey, you should turn down millions of dollars that you could be making right now. You should turn that down because you're going to learn a lesson about life. I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it's,
2: but the, but the main, it it was a ridiculous thing to say, but he's also not somebody like he doesn't have power. You people getting mad at people who don't have power for what their bad opinions are is a totally, like, just... It, it's this well, loop that doesn't well, lead anywhere. And we're, not,
1: and we're not setting the scene, but there were a ton of pro athletes who just went at Brandt, and I don't and know... Schefter. I don't know if they were... Schefter, I think, is a little bit different of a circumstance because he is... He cognizant. does have power. Well, he has power, and he is not in the winter of his life. There was just something to... We're really watching people go crazy on this 90-year-old, and it speaks to the flattening dynamic of Twitter and how everything feels like the same thing, and a 90-year-old feels like a 30-year-old when you hear or you read the comment, versus if you were just at a table with this guy outside a coffee shop, this is where I encounter the older people. Uh, You go, oh, this is an an incredibly old man, um, and he's saying old guy things, and you know, hey, old guys say old guy things and I'm going about my way. There's something to, there's something inefficient or wrong with the conversation when it's just go at Gilbrant's time, I guess is my main, my main takeaway.
2: Yeah, I mean, Twitter is just always searching for these enemies to just whack over the head with a cudgel. Yeah. And it would be a lot more satisfying if you know, this like collective Twitter went after real power structures
1: as opposed to, well, I, I guess Gil Brandt had an apology that was given. I do wonder, I hope nobody made him aware of this and they just took care of everything for him. Uh, That's what I, that's what I hope for the old man. I believe in grace towards, uh, towards the elderly, but the Schefter thing, that's a different topic. And, Maybe one we'll get into in the future because he's he's become quite the intriguing figure. He he signed that new deal with them. He's there are a lot of similarities with Woj, but I think he plays a little bit better with others behind the scenes. I think there will be Schafter news in the future, uh, but we got to take one call and get on out of here. Let's yeah, Ethan Ryan, AJF,
4: hi. And to tie this story into what Yuan was saying. Uh, I don't know. Do you guys follow Mark Andreessen on Twitter? I I did. I had to
2: stop over the current thing tweets. Wait,
1: can I be be a dick and say he follows me on Twitter as well? I mean, can I I say that? Yeah. yeah. He follows a
2: lot. I don't know him. He follows a
1: lot of people.
4: Yeah. So, uh, you know, through this kind of uh, flood of this torrent of the current things, uh, tweets that he's been making, one of them was basically trying to understand the study behind it. And uh, it was a University of Chicago paper where they pinpointed information saturation and social pressure on basically the reasons for these hive minds behind the current thing. And So, you know, this is technology enabled, uh, you know, kind of hive mind. So maybe 20, 25 years ago, without technology, you know, we're all kind of thinking our own way, right we're not being so influenced by uh, this flood of information that's hitting us uh, through our phone every day um, and so maybe we're a bit more civil about uh, discourse and you know having different you know perspectives and opinions on things. Uh, whereas now, you know, the social media is telling us we must be outraged at Gill. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah, I but I mean,
2: we, we drill, have drill down, I, I, get assassinated. I really don't believe that <laughs> the discourse was ever more civil, other than like you know, in the pages of the gatekeeping newspaper.
1: I think when we were kids was the only period of time where it had reached peak civility, and then it deteriorated. And it's better than it was in the early 1900s, but it's also, but I want you to drill down on the, the current thing, because that I think is a powerful, a powerful concept. Uh, there's that meme. I support the current thing. And it's uh, the NPC kind of cartoon. Uh, and they've got the various slogans of the last few years plastered on them. Maybe there's Ukraine, maybe there's uh, BLM and and the other things. And there's this COVID. Very, yeah. Uh, it's it's you know. a powerful sense of, there's the current thing, and we 're all doing the current thing, and it 's very top down that I do think feels very much of this era versus the recent eras before it
4: absolutely and and it 's totally uh, technology enabled uh, and it's very kind of preachy and what Mark is you know trying to enlighten people through you know sarcasm, I guess is that uh, it 's total bullshit, and we should be ignoring it. And he makes fun of how if you go, you know, we can't even discuss the current thing or else, uh, you know, you'll be <laughs> ostracized. Yeah, uh, We use the current thing to find enemies. Uh, we cannot If you can't, if you can't the,
1: question the current thing, then that's how you know it's the current thing. It's a bit tautological, but there is something it, to it.
4: it. Exactly. And uh, you uh, we cannot speak dispassionately about the current thing until it's the past thing. Mm. Uh, (laughs) yes that's the craziest part of this yes
1: and that's the most underrated part where you get this palpable sense or i did in media i will get fired if i talk about this this week but if i wait three months then i'll be fine and then i can talk about it and do the anchorman wow that escalated quickly in retrospect that's the other aspect of it that is so disorienting how you can you can just say things that would get you fired and you just wait. And then the emotions cool down and you can go, yeah, man, people kind of went crazy right there with the me too. huh? And then you don't get fired. It's
2: man. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Carl towns just fouled out with seven and a half minutes oh. left with them down seven. Ooh. Oh man. Um, yeah. I'm watching on delay Snake right it. now. Snake it still, franchise
4: like, Entering the halftime. And yeah, so that's absolutely absurd that you can't, you know, discuss it, you know, in the moment, right. It's, um, I don't want to digress, but is, is Ryan
1: gambling on this game? And would I gamble <laughs> on whether Ryan's gambling? What would what, what would you think? You know, what odds? What odds? i say, you,
4: you know, two to one or two to
1: one.
2: Plus two hundred. Oh, I definitely gambled on this game. Oh, you're sick. You're sick. on
1: the play Oh my god. I'm the MetaQuest
2: play in tournament. <laughs> the MetaQuest yeah. play-in. Did you did you take Minnesota or <laughs> I did. I had Minnesota minus, minus two and a half. Okay. That uh, that I, that's you know, gonna lose, but that's all right.
4: <laughs> yeah, I, I was, you know, I was skeptical of them being favored in this game uh after Paul George rejoined the team. Mm. Uh they were underseeded or overseeded, I guess, the Lakers or the Clippers. Um but I also want to talk about another something that was inflated in my mind was these numbers that you're talking about, Ethan on these streaming mm. services um, yeah. so first, yes, as you know Ryan, you said it doesn't really matter HBO because' it's, you know it's a per- proprietary platform that's subscription based, so they don't rely on ads but to your ad kind of question, Ethan, there was uh, this is maybe data information, but CPM, which is basically the uh, the central metric for uh, cost per viewers per yeah. thousand viewers. Uh, That was like, you know, you're charged double to triple for TV uh, CPM versus like online video CPM. Mm. So I don't know if that's still consistent with streaming platforms because, well, there's not many that actually have um, ads on them. But, you know, I I would bet that there's still probably, you know, a several, you know, year lag of that being, uh, uh, you know, way more expensive or premium real estate, I should say, for ad revenue and uh, and so maybe they're inflating this just to try to make up for that, um, you know, for some services, but it doesn't really matter. The data is really the most important thing. Like, when Netflix... Uh, signed this huge contract with adam sandler everyone kind of mocked it and said this is what 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 are they doing this is ridiculous but they knew how well adam sandler movies were streaming on their services right because it was proprietary yeah. information that he did and you know i'm sure they had like a huge roi on the deal oh. they did with uh, adam sandler and all his flicks that they well, made you, you, you remember that with the whole
1: Chappelle controversy it became this big deal that Uh, The activists against him leaked the data on how popular the specials were. Yes, exactly. and, And the arguments they were making. And what I don't like about how it's hidden, though, I understand the dynamics behind it is just as somebody who likes history, somebody who enjoyed the Klosterman book. Um, I want to know how popular things are. That's that's really good to know when you're trying to understand a culture and understand how it's moving. But yeah, I'm digressing a little bit from the economic concerns that that you were talking about uh, that these companies have. But yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's and, it's it, a fascinating topic.
4: And, and I will say on one uh, this with the NBA and you know, Adam Silver's vision, it's really interesting. Have you guys tried VR? Uh, like kind of the modern VR headsets, Oculus or even the PlayStation headset, a couple
1: times, but it was a few years ago, so I, I'm not sure if it's improved vastly since then.
4: Yeah, so I, it it wasn't HD. These new generations are definitely amazing, and I I had the courtside experience for just a clip for the NBA, and it's phenomenal. It's absolutely mm. you know astounding. But what's crazy is they NBA had a partnership with Samsung like maybe five years ago with their uh, headset, but it was just like the Samsung Galaxy inside of a like a, another $200 headset. Yeah, And the, it is such a threat to the live product itself. Like who's mm. gonna go to arena and sit in this 300 level when you could stay home and put on this headset and sit courtside where you're getting, you know, such so an funny. amazing experience. And same with, you know, television, right? So it undermines the live product. And he, he was mentioning like, oh, it's so wonderful. There's 20,000 people in the arena. and Like, this is what hmm. it's all about. Blah, blah blah. You can't have both. And that's why they're so reluctant to actually make this. Like the technology's there. They could put a 3D uh, camera, um, you know, baseline. And you can see all this action like you're, you know, in person. That's but they so, won't do it. It's so, so
1: funny that it's too good that it will then deplete the process of the atmospherics that, that make it. Well, that's already so happened
2: with the big TVs. Like, yeah.
4: Yes. And and that's, and I totally agree. And and to one point, like when it's become too much of a pain in the ass to actually attend these games, because you're putting like an hour beforehand, an hour and after to, you know, travel there and from, um, you know, the cost of, you know, whatever, a $12 beer. Um, you know, I mean,
1: people are noticing at least on the baseball front that the the attendance numbers
4: are soft in San Francisco for the beloved Giants uh, and, out here. And same with the NBA over the season. You've, you know, yeah, uh, you've talked about it. You've written about it. And uh, I saw the final attendance numbers that they released, and of course, these are you know Cooked. the most inflated. Yeah. Like I saw one game, the Raptors are playing against uh, the Pelicans and that arena couldn't have had more than 4,000 people in it. Yeah. Um, There's zero chance. It was, you know, 90% empty seats, you know, in the lower bowl. It was absolutely absurd, but uh, uh, that that's it. I just wanted to get two cents in there. uh,
1: Those were two great cents. And I, I, this is an awkward way to close out. I have some thoughts on the current thing. I have an article coming out perhaps tomorrow. Perhaps tomorrow, um, I have a theory on what might break the current thing. Uh, and it's a technology that is being, uh, has been used for about the last 10 years. I feel like it's just under the noses of everybody in media. And I think it's gaining a lot of steam underneath the surface. And it is the very thing that will uh, cause the, prefer- uh, the preference cascade. So that is my tease uh, for Ooh, the article coming out. I'm intrigued. Yeah, there you go. Then I did my job, uh, as did all of you by listening and by asking questions. Uh, Ryan, do you have anything to plug on the way out?
2: Uh, no. Your, your, you must... your bets,
1: your bets. You want to plug your bets?
2: Uh, you know, if I could get this Timberwolves minus two and a half, it really none of my individual bets matter anymore. Like I'm <laughs> up enough on these apps that, and I'm like confident enough in my systems that <laughs> i really don't get anxious about them actually it's crazy
4: well
1: I uh, i wish you all the best uh spectacular job by you ace rothstein over there uh <laughs> and to all of you stay safe and until next time Enjoy your <laughs> day of playoff. thank you talk soon see you